0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, you may have noticed uh, when you, you sat down in your pews that there's this new pad that's kind of an old pad but we we brought it back for the first time since we took a break from covid uh welcome to Westminster attendance register it's a I know it's a bit antiquated in, in like the year 2023 but um we found that this is the most effective way to actually collect information particularly from visitors or whoever wants to put information in if you haven't had a chance could you grab that wherever it is on your pew just just sign in and send it down the, the pew uh, let us know you're here. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Help, help us do uh, the work of shepherding. And also, um, if there's anything, opportunity, if you want, need me to reach out to you or anybody, if you need anything, this is an opportunity just to make us aware, a uh, very simple way of that. Um, hey, as, we're, as things are transitioning, let's pray before we dive in this morning. Father, thank you for just the reminder of the gospel that we've already seen this morning. And heard and uh, singing these great hymns of, of pain and yet hope uh, that comes through in the gospel message. Uh, Lord, that, that life as we, we follow you is, is hard. It's really hard to take up our crosses and, and to follow you uh, every day. But Lord, you promise us your spirit to come and, and to give us strength to do that. So, Lord, now as we, we, as we sit for the next bit and, and go through this passage, we ask that you, through your Spirit, would give us strength to listen. Uh, Lord, help us to hang in here and help us to, to plumb the depths uh, of the beauty that you're trying to teach us. So, Holy Spirit, come. And we ask this in Christ's strong name. Amen. So, uh, growing up in West Alabama. <laughs> Some of y'all know these people, aside from Alabama football, uh, deer hunting, NASCAR, Copenhagen. Uh, <laughs> one, one of the things that got some of my, or most of my fellow rednecks really, really excited was dirt track racing. Uh, y'all know about dirt track race. It's different than like asphalt track racing. And so when it was announced that this man was coming into our, our area and he had all this money and he was going to, he has this promise of this awesome attraction, a dirt track in West Alabama, it was the talk of the community I mean, it's like, all right, essentially our version of Disneyland is coming to our doorsteps, right? It's, we, we all knew what we were going to be doing on Friday nights. We were going to be at the track, baby. I think that was like their, their slogan, at the track, baby. And uh, so they, all right, so the day came, broke, you know, ribbon cutting, they broke the ground, brought in an army of excavators, dirt pans, bulldozers. They, they land formed for weeks, which then kind of turned into months, which then turned into a year, and then things just stopped. And uh, the word was that the, the guy who was going to develop this ran out of money, couldn't finish it. And so we, as we would drive by it, you know, we would kind of hoping at some point it would get picked back up. But we just look out there and we see dirt pans, excavators, bulldozers just, you know, collecting rust. And so today, if you drive to Tuscaloosa, it's still there. Granted, you can't really see it anymore, but off to the left of 82... Uh, covered in, of course, it's grown up with trees and all sorts of things now, Uh, it's there, though you never know it. Uh, But to the locals, it's a a living parable. Uh, It's a living testimony to what can happen when you begin something without first counting the cost. Um, Well, this morning, lest we shipwreck the faith and we leave our souls like an abandoned dirt track. Jesus is calling us to first, like, first count the costs. Before we sign up, we need to know the cost of following him. And so this is, as we're going to read this, we're going to say this is the opposite of a seeker-sensitive sermon. You know, Jesus, instead of hosting these massive events and building these awesome programs, trying to draw in a crowd to his movement, so often we see Jesus doing the opposite. Like, he's trying to cull away the crowd. He's trying to send them home. Because Jesus wasn't, nor, and, well, and isn't interested in fans. He wants followers. He's not, he's not interested in spectators. He's interested in recruits. So this morning, Jesus is addressing the crowds and, and us, and he's saying, listen, before you follow me, just so that we're all on the same page, you need to be aware of what you're signing up for. Uh, It's not, it's not rainbows, unicorns, and puppies. You, you have to count the cost of following me because having done so, you may find that you don't really, you may not want this. In the early 1900s, very famous uh, uh, British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, he was trying to recruit people for his expedition to the South Pole. Very, very famous ad he took out in the London newspaper trying to recruit people to his, uh, his expedition. But his, his newspaper ad clearly detailed the cost. It, it said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Uh, It it was very clear what you're signing up for, that it would be very costly. And you know, because of that honesty, uh, because of that honesty on the front end, uh, so we're told from history that people showed up in droves uh, interested in this. Well, like Ernest Shackleton, this morning Jesus is using the clearest language possible. So contrary to easy beliefism, Jesus teaches us that there is no halfway house when it comes to this. To, to be a, a kind of, sort of disciple is to be no disciple. We're, we're going to find that you can't straddle the fence in this. We, you know, you're either all in or you're, you're all out uh, when it comes to following him. You know, it would be one thing if, if Jesus said, listen, it, look, if these things we're about to talk about don't describe you, um, then you won't make for the best disciple, but I mean, you could you can still be a disciple, just kind of, you know. But Jesus didn't say that. I want you to notice the, the language here. In no uncertain terms, Jesus said, if the gospel message has not so transformed you that these things do not describe you, then you cannot be my disciple." I mean, it is is that bold. Like, if these things do not mark you, then you cannot be. So this is a shot across the bow of North American Christianity and a sobering wake-up call to what it has always truly meant to be an authentic follower. And So with that, let's hear Jesus' recruitment ad uh, to you and me. This is the very word of God. Now, great crowds accompanied him and I'm not sure if it's because I'm, well, obviously I'm getting older lately, but I found myself paying closer attention to pharmaceutical ads. I used to kind of skip through those. And, and at, as y'all, we all know, they all have like the same script, right? It's this, this beautiful, shiny day, someone smiling, having a great time with friends. For whatever reason, there's usually like a frisbee and a, a dog involved. And, and all thanks to this pill, right? All thanks to this medication that did wonders in their life. All, all, is, all is right with the world. Until at the very end, usually, or, you know, in very, very small print on the screen, or maybe they hired, like, this auctioneer person to tell you the full story of this, uh, the possible side effects of this medication. And after you, you you know, you're reading it or you're listening, and you hear things like uh, may cause nausea, dizziness, drowsiness, insomnia, headache, dry mouth, heart rhythm abnormalities, internal bleeding, and in some extreme cases, death. And you're watching that, and you're like, wow, like th- these side effects don't, qu- don't quite fit the Sunshine and Frisbee's you know, theme of the, the commercial. Okay, do you know when Satan is out recruiting? And, and by the way, we're, like all of us are recruits. Like, we're-, we're all recruited by somebody. We're all disciples of something. When the world, the flesh, and the devil are out recruiting, it's kind of like that. You know, it's-, it's the promise of the good life joy freedom pleasure a promise of, of shiny happy days but then the fine print is always there on the back end because if you live that long enough at some point you learn that that promise of life will actually lead to death that that momentary joy will ultimately give way to sorrow despair total lack of hope okay well you know, jesus is not like a pharmaceutical ad praise god uh, nor is he the like the user terms and agreement of like every cell phone update ever uh, yeah, it was like, who, who knows what we're signing away with those things? Now, on the front end, Jesus has the cost, the side effects, like highlighted and bullet pointed on the brochure. Um, so on, on the show, not an endorsement, but just an illustration, on the show Yellowstone, uh, to belong to that ranch are, are for life, uh, the workers take the brand, and you know, they sit there and get branded by the same brand they brand their cattle. They're marked for life. What Jesus says, if you follow me, this is not only what you're signing up for, but these will be the things that mark your life for the rest of your life on this earth, okay? What are the marks? What are his brands? Well, the first mark of what we're going to call the cruciform life is the priority of relationships. Priority of relationships... Spoiler, Jesus, Jesus is top priority. He's the priority overall. Verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. I and mean, at first you read that, at least I read that, that sounds pretty awful, pretty harsh. Or, or we may think that is, is, those, is this one of those contradictions that the skeptics are always talking about? Because didn't Jesus in Mark say... Honor your father and mother, and, and now he's telling us to hate our like so which one is it? Because that's a big difference, to honor or hate. Didn't Jesus love the little children and call us to love the little children? Well, aren't husbands called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Didn't Jesus call us to love our enemies? And well, what's so like our enemies get a pass now, but those who are nearest and dearest to our hearts we're called to hate? And it's easy to think, like, what sort of toxic relational dynamic is Jesus calling for here? Okay. Especially with passages like this, it's, it's really important to remember that Jesus was teaching, well, in the first century context. And so ancient figures of speech that were obvious to the original hearers are oftentimes lost on us. Uh, and so probably the most obvious use of this particular figure of speech is found in Genesis when Jacob, if you remember, Jacob had this very interesting dynamic with his mar- marriages, right? So Jacob was said to have loved Rachel more than, than Leah, right? Um, and then in the very next verse, the very next verse implies that in comparison to his great love for his, his wife Rachel, Leah was hated. He hated Leah in comparison to, to Rachel, which means in the ancient world, this is, was a figure of speech that meant, like, hatred had to do with priority, uh, that you loved whatever your top love was so much that compared to that, everything else was as if you hated it. So in Jesus' context, to hate means to give second place to. It, it's to play second fiddle to your one and only, your, to your top love. So to this, theologian Thomas Boston said, no person can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to them in the world. That means to be a follower of Christ is to be someone who sees the the, the beauty of Jesus outshines all others. It's to say, though, look, I I really do love my spouse and I love my kids and my friends and my parents, though I, I love my own life. In comparison to the supreme love in which, I love Jesus, all those other loves appear like hate. And I know it sounds extreme, but but that is the relational pecking order for Jesus' disciples. To be a follower is to be so taken by Jesus' transforming grace that you see that he's not just like our ticket out of hell, nor is he this person that we talk about on Sundays or when we're in kind of trouble we pray to. But he is our soul's true north, always. He is our one and only, our, our love supreme. is to know the reality that ultimately we were made for God, which means believers, more so than anybody else, know that even the greatest of spouses will not complete us. It's to reject like the grand idol of our day of putting our children up on the pedestal and our, our life orbits around our children, right? It's to know that if any of those relationships are taking us away from Christ, then our relationships are out of whack. It's knowing that our friends, our parents, as as wonderful as they can be, they aren't everything we need. And so if if those relationships are keeping us from Jesus, then it's obvious that we haven't begun to see the tip of the iceberg of Jesus' staggering, amazing love. And so to be his disciple— means to lean our ladder, right? It's, it's to place our lives on the only ground that isn't shifting sand, to lean our ladder on him. Now, like, like to put any other relationship above Jesus, look, that may make us a disciple of Hallmark. Uh, it may make us a disciple of lots of things. Um, but doing so reveals our hearts that, that we are not his follower because the uh, the Lord and Savior of the universe doesn't play second fiddle to anyone. And so as as we count the cost, count the cost, what an opportunity this morning, this week, to take an inventory of our relationships and to hear his call back to repentance. But before we move on, just a real quick aside, you know that expression, we hear it, that someone can be too heavenly-minded for any earthly good, you know that expression? Uh, There have been boatloads of Christians who've neglected their families pretty significantly in the pursuit of this verse, right? Jesus is top. Everybody else can just lose it, right? Leave it. If you neglect your family in following Jesus, you've missed it. If, If anything, truly loving Jesus first actually empowers you and equips you to love your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, even better. All ships rise as the sea of our affection for Jesus rises okay? So relationships. Um, second, we, we see cross-bearing. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In Jesus' day, when you would see someone or someone who had been sentenced to death, uh, just like Jesus was asked to do, they, they were asked to carry the cross beam of their own cross. It's kind of sick, right, that they had to carry their own instrument of death to the place that they were going to die. And so when you saw someone carrying a cross, you you knew that you weren't going to see them again, right? That they had a one-way ticket towards death. They weren't coming back. Jesus says his followers are those who take up their crosses, their death to self, and follow him. And that's why we sang that hymn this morning. Jesus, I, my cross have taken... Because it's unspeakably hard and yet, and yet the joys of jesus that's the only thing that gets us through this and so this isn't a once and done thing this isn't like what i did back in the 1970s or 80s this isn't what you, you know what happens when you walk the aisle or you meet with the elders and you, you join the church no this is something that marks us every single day as a follower of christ so we wake up and yesterday's carrying is, is done we wake up today we take up the cross today, and we carry it today. So there's a, a misunderstanding, or can be, that this verse means, you know, the hardships of life, right? That, uh, that annoying family member, uh, the co-worker, that person at school, the challenge of physical or, or mental illnesses, you know, the challenge of a diagnosis. And we'll say things like, well, this is my cross to bear, okay? Though those are, those are hard that is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's just life in a fallen world that is hard. Uh, but what we got to see is like, we can bear those things all the way to hell. Bearing those things don't mark us as, as a believer. So as James Boyce said, yes, uh, taking up our cross is denying ourselves. It is death to self, but it is also saying yes to God. Okay. It involves walking by faith into the jaws of a world, the halls of a school, a workplace, in which following Jesus isn't trending. You're not getting any points. It involves being persecuted, ostracized, marginalized, or left out because we are, or because we are following Jesus. It involves dying to self, restoring dignity to other image bearers. It's pursuing like a, a biblical sexual ethic in a culture that brags about body count and will make you the punchline, okay? In a world of partiality, to take up your cross is to actually follow Jesus' teaching about race and class. You know, about who your brothers and sisters truly are. Um, It's feeding the hungry, it's giving drink to the thirsty, receiving the stranger, caring for the sick, befriending the lonely, all of these things intentionally in Jesus' name. It may mean the death of your free time. It will mean the death of your comfort for sure. It may sometimes require the death of your extra money or even in the most extreme cases, it may literally mean your life. So it's to wake up every day rejecting the ludicrous propaganda that life is about you. Live, laugh, love. It's all about you. And it's to, to radically swim upstream. Like I, I promise you, like if you live this, you will look different. And you will be ostracized. Because it's to swim upstream, acknowledging that because of Jesus' life and death for you, as we confess, you are no longer your own. You belong body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So if Jesus isn't describing you, then this is another invitation to just consider. Consider what he's done for you and then what that means for you now. Okay, third, and much more brief, priority of possessions, our our possessions. Verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, Jesus isn't saying that... um, we have to give away everything just to follow him like he's not fleecing the sheep but what he's saying is that you might he you know he didn't ask that of everybody the, the question we have to ask is does jesus have all of you does jesus have all of me like are, are there areas in which we we don't let jesus in because not only does jesus not play second fiddle in relationships but he doesn't play second fiddle to anything our nest egg our job our house like not even our sports team you see how radical this is? Yet to be a disciple means giving Christ total control of your life. It's to say, Jesus, all that we are, all that we have, is at your disposal. And so Jesus, is Jesus calling you to let go of some things? Maybe not. Uh, but maybe so. Be sensitive, be sensitive to the spirit's calling here. This is really just a reminder that Jesus' followers are those whose possessions don't possess us. Christ possesses us. He does. And then finally, Jesus closes down with this warning about salt. It's very interesting. Uh, You know, Jesus regularly called his his followers salt, right? We're the salt of the world, right? That, That not only do Christians, like we bring out the best flavors of life, zest gusto of life but we're also the ones who who bring preserving properties into the the decaying world so by by living the gospel we're armed with the very thing that we can we can push back the darkness you know that we can we can order the chaos however he asks this question what do you do with salt that has lost its saltiness it's a, it's like that song is a like, how do you solve a problem like Maria? What do you do with that? Well, what do you do with a Christian that just isn't really like Christ like? What, what, what is this? Well, a deep dive into uh, salt will, will, will tell you that the compound sodium chloride cannot lose its sodium chlorideness. Like it's just, it is what it is, right? Salt is salt, which is an awesome picture because it, it means that if you are truly in Jesus, then by golly, you are truly in Jesus, okay? However, what Jesus is talking about is the fact that salt can become so diluted, so watered down, that it's it's useless. And so the danger is in seeking to be so relevant to our culture, to so relate to our world that we dilute what it actually means to be a follower of Christ, Right? And when that happens, we've lost the very thing, the only thing that empowers us to actually change the world. In pursuing the culture, we can lose Christ, and and we can, as the church, we can just become another social humanitarian organization. We see that the social gospel is not the gospel. It is Christ or bust. And so with that, as we close... Jesus brings us back to the original call to, to count the cost. But in verse 31, Jesus implies, after truly counting the cost, after you've thought all this through and you've, you've even heard about all this, just the tremendous cost, he says, after thinking this through, can you afford not to follow me if you really consider the cost? Because what's Mr. Yes, Jesus' way is tremendously costly. I mean, it, it is all of life. But it is not nearly as costly as every other way. Following Jesus, follow anything but Jesus. And there will be hell to pay literally. You just thought the cost was high. And so Jesus argues that that when you're that overpowered, when you're that outmatched, there's really only one logical thing to do, right? He talks about these generals, these kings, So on April the 9th, 1865, at the Appomattox Courthouse, overwhelmed and outmatched, uh, what did General Robert E. Lee do? And I know for Southerners it's painful, right? But he counted the cost, and he found that the only wise course of action was surrender. It was to pursue peace. You know, that's it. That's what this little small parable is teaching, is after counting the cost, yes, in light of all these things that mark a believer, but like, you look at your sin? After counting all that cost, there's only only one logical thing to do. To surrender to the one who came to give us peace with God. To surrender to our beautiful Savior. In him, the glory of salvation and, and the blessing of God's favor on us far outweigh the cost. And so this is what we would call a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer to surrender to the king. But you know what else? In verse 30, the people mocked the man who was not able to finish what he started. You know, what, what a low blow to almost any person. You're not a finisher. You can't even finish a dirt track. Do you know that if you've received the gift of saving faith from God, that that can never be said of you. No one can ever say, he's just not a finisher. Because Jesus counted the cost and still finished the race. We who are in him are going to finish the race. So he promises that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. What we see throughout the gospel is not only is Jesus our opener, but he's also our closer. So this morning is an invitation to while we count the cost, just remember as, as costly as it sounds, it's not near as costly as, as losing Jesus. So this is an invitation to come to him. Let's pray. Lord, in one sense, we count the cost, but in another sense, how can we afford not, not to come to you? It says, as Simon Peter said, Lord, where where else can we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. So Lord, may you come and, and may Jesus' teaching in this verse really penetrate our hearts. Uh, Lord, call us to count the cost, but then to return in Jesus and to really just go out in joy. Um, Father, we ask that you would bless and keep us how these words in our heart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.